Chapter Ten of Og, Son of Fire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Liam Fricker. Og, Son of Fire, by Irving Crump. Chapter Ten. In the dark of the night. Slowly. The giant tiger began to flatten itself among the rocks, while the heavy head with its glowing eyes moved about, trying to locate Og, either by smell or by sight. That the great cat knew he was in the canyon and close at hand was evident from its actions. For a long time, it crouched motionless among the rocks, save the slow and subtle movement of its head. And the silent waving of its tail. Presently, it began to creep forward, ever so slowly, moving across the canyon in the direction the soft wind was blowing, and heading directly toward the boulder behind which the heavy boy and his wolf companions crouched. Og's heart almost stopped beating, yet with all his fear, he never moved a muscle. For he realized that the tiger knew he was close at hand, but had not yet been able to locate him, and until it did, it would not spring upon him. It must see him first and know for certainty just where he was before it would risk a charge or any quick movement. Softly and slowly, it slipped forward from stone to stone and from boulder to boulder, taking advantage of every shelter. And waiting long and patiently in the deep shadows, while its evil eyes searched every possible hiding place to locate its victim. So well hidden were Og and the wolves, and so silent did they keep that the big cat was completely baffled. But Og knew that the natural determination of the beast would not let it give up the search for him, and it was inevitable that it would find him. And pounce upon him, breaking his neck with one sweep of its terrible paw, or cleaving his backbone with its mighty jaws. What was he to do? What chance would he have, even with his stone hammer and the alliance of the wolf cubs against this monstrous man-eater? In the desperation of the moment, an idea was born. He wondered how solidly this rock that he crouched behind. Was embedded in the side of the canyon. He remembered that when he had located it during the hours of daylight, he had noted that it was none too well fixed in its place. He wondered how great a shove would be needed to send it crashing down the slope to the bottom of the canyon, twenty or thirty feet below. He wondered whether he had the strength to start it on its downward path. This seemed to be his only hope. Softly, he put his shoulder against it and tried it. It moved with unexpected ease and made a grating noise, at the same time dislodging loose dirt and pebbles that rolled down the slope, making a surprisingly loud noise in the stillness. The tiger flattened against the ground with a soft hiss, and its ears went back against its head, while its eyes glowed like live coals. Og, frightened by what he had done, loosened his grips upon the wolf cubs 
and stood up. Instantly, the tiger saw him and gave voice to a roar that echoed and re-echoed across the Nabal Canyon, and sent chills racing up and down the back of the hairy boy and the whimpering wolf cubs. Then, like a flash, it charged. Two great leaps brought it to the foot of the slope, and with swift and powerful strides, it began to climb among the rocks directly beneath Og. The hairy boy watched it over the top of the boulder, trying to time his attack so that a big beast would be in a position from which it could not escape when he should launch the heavy boulder. He knew that a mistake on his part meant swift and sudden death for him. He knew that unless he could bowl the grey cat over and crush it down with the rock, his end would follow quickly. Up mounted the tiger, mouth open, fangs bared, and eyes glowing. All could see the beast distinctly now, in spite of the darkness, and he realised what a hideous fate would be his if luck were not with him, or his strength or nerve should fail him. He gritted his teeth and braced both hands against the boulder, at the same time planting his short, crooked legs firmly against the ground. The tiger came on, but the steep slope retarded its progress. In spite of its great claws, its footing on the rocks was not certain, and small stones were dislodged and rolled clattering down to the bottom of the canyon as it climbed. It was halfway up the slope now, half between the canyon bottom and the terror-stricken heavy boy. Og did not let it come further, for it might reach firmer footing and with one terrific spring pounce upon him. The heavy boy gave a mighty heave, putting all the strength in his powerful back and legs in the shove. The boulder, with a crunching noise, came out of its insecure resting place, balanced a moment on edge, then in a shower of stones and dust, tipped over and crashed down the incline on its journey of destruction. The tiger saw it coming, and for an instant it paused and flattened itself against the slope, spitting viciously. That pause was fatal. The next instant, realizing its danger, it tried to leap forward and fling itself out of the path of the rolling boulder, but the great stone crashed upon it before it could leave the ground. Momentarily, there was a pause in the mad career of the stone. Then it sped on, and with it, gliding against other boulders, went the clawing, spitting body of the big tiger. To the bottom of the slope, they rolled together, in a mad whirlwind of flying stones and dust. There they landed with a crash, the heavy stone pinning the great mottled cat against another and larger boulder that stopped the wild plunge. There it lay, scratching, clawing at the huge stone that held it prisoner and making the night hideous with its terrible screams. Og and the wolf cubs remained on the slope of the canyon wall, trembling and wondering what was to happen next. But when the boy discovered the condition of the beast and knew for a certainty that it was held captive by the weight of the stone, 
he added his voice to the general din and gave the hairy man's hunting call of triumph. Again and again he shouted in wild ecstasy. Then, seizing his newly made stone hammer, he scrambled down to the bottom of the canyon and, swinging his weapon over his head, crashed it down upon the tiger's head. Again and again he beat it until the great head bled from a dozen different wounds, and the animal lay still among the rocks. Then once more, Og raised his voice in a triumphant shout that echoed and re-echoed up and down the canyon and out into the pleasant valley where the tree people heard it and wondered. All night long, Og and the wolf cubs paced up and down beside the dead tiger. The heavy boy gloated over his achievement and enjoying his triumph to the fullest. He kicked the limp body and spat upon it. He called it dreadful names in the tongue of the hairy people. He stood upon it, sat astride it, pulled its tail, and finally sat down and watched it proudly. And well might the hairy boy be proud of his accomplishment. The great cave tigers had taken a heavy toll on his people for years. Yet never to Og's knowledge had any one of his tribe, even his father, who was the mightiest hunter of all, ever slain one of these terrible beasts single-handed. Indeed, Og had only heard of one ever having been killed, and that was one that, wounded and sick from a recent encounter with a hairy rhinoceros, had crawled to the river for water. There the hairy people found it and cornered it. The whole tribe had joined in the killing of it, and they had stoned and clubbed it to death. Og had seen the skin, or that part of it that could be salvaged. Old Gog, the scarred and irritable old war leader of the clan, would bring out the small piece of it that was left and drape it round his loins at feasts and on other state occasions. Og realized with an overwhelming feeling of importance that he now possessed a whole skin to boast about when he should meet his people. He was wealthier now than any hairy man had ever been, or at least he would be when he had skinned the tiger. He was eager now for dawn to come, so that he could begin that important task. The first grey light of morning found Og searching about among the stones in the canyon for one that would make a satisfactory skinning knife. He searched long and hard, for he was beginning to appreciate the value of good tools, and he meant to have a knife that would do its work well. Again, he was fortunate in finding a piece of flint, a large scale this time, that had a sharper edge than any knife that Og had ever possessed. He was elated, and he resolved, as he admired the cutting edge, and tried it on the handle of his hammer, that he would not throw it away as most heavy people did the sharp stones they used for the same purpose. Instead, he would keep it, and perhaps, by chipping it as he had done the hammerhead, he could make it even more serviceable. With the coming of the first rays of the sun, Og was bending over the prostrate form of the huge tiger. He had rolled the boulder partly away and dragged the carcass out from its death trap. Then he proceeded with his skinning. While the wolf cubs looked silently on or explored among the rocks for small animals on which they might breakfast. It was at this walk that the wandering and the thoroughly frightened tree people 
found him when they began to gather timidly about the entrance of the canyon, and when they saw the saber-toothed one stretched prone on the ground with the one that they had meant to be his victim bending over him, they screwed in amazement and jabbered among themselves, but none of them, not even old Scarface, had the courage to enter the canyon and come near him. End of chapter 10